Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode, where today I'm joined by a gentleman from United States of America called Kip Roth. Kip, a very, very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Our pleasure. And uh, Kip's going to speak to us today, uh, well, about many things. I've had the privilege, and I will say it is a privilege, of obviously speaking uh, off air to Kip around a a whole uh, host of things. And... um, it's over to you, really, Kip. Would you just start us off wherever? I mean, we've got no kind of title of this. We don't need a title. Let's just talk and see where this takes us. Sure. I appreciate the open mic, if you will. I, I believe that uh, I'm a public speaker, and I want to do a lot more public speaking because I believe that what I've experienced in my life might help other people handle emotional pain, adversity, and difficulty. So just starting from the beginning, a lot of people notice right up front that, that I'm a little shaped a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, this is focomelia, and it's a congenital defect. Uh, I was born with it. Um, I was born without elbows, fingers, or thumbs. And I was tremendously, tremendously fortunate in that my parents were you know, being born shaped like this in the 1960s in the United States was 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 not a good thing. The, the the standard operating procedure just prior to my birth was institutionalization. And that's what was on the table for me. But my parents had a better idea. So I underwent 20 something operations to build these fingers. Um, I had a rudimentary bone structure inside of a fused flipper and they separated the fingers, took one of them off and moved it over to make an opposable, opposable thumbs and incredibly blessed to have had that opportunity because although it's a very rare disease, most people who were similarly afflicted did not have that opportunity. So I spent the first 15 or so years of my life trying to prove to anybody and everybody that I wasn't in fact disabled, which turned out to be a a horrific failure. (laughs) <laughs> because, and also a tremendous, a tremendous success. So let me explain that. It was a horrific failure because nobody gave a damn. <laughs> you know, that's, I was, I was, uh, I was attempting to impress the wrong audience, but also a, a tremendous success to the extent that I proved to myself I wasn't disabled. You know, the, the, the North Star for anybody with a similar affliction is complete physical independence. Right. And so I, I pursued it completely. And I achieved it at about 15, 16 years old. But then I, uh, I ran into something I didn't anticipate. And, and what I didn't anticipate was there's a tremendous stigma attached to disability in Western culture. And this is interesting because studying this, I learned that, you know, in places like India, persons with physical disabilities are, are worshipped as gods. Right. Um, you know, I, I could have made that work, Paul. <laughs> I could have made that work, but that, that wasn't the case in Western culture. And so when I went off to college, when I went off to school, 
I ran into this, this wall of, of people who didn't care about my capabilities. They only cared about my, my appearance. And it manifests in interesting ways. You know, three, four times a year, a complete stranger will approach me and, and say, if I looked like you, I'd kill myself. Uh, I was denied you know, countless jobs. Restaurant owners said, I can't hire you because I can't see anybody. You know, my customers can't see you near their food. I once was offered a job on, on the telephone with a temporary agency. And when I showed up to start work, the boss said, I'm sorry, I can't send somebody who looks like you uh, out to a customer. And you know, this happened several dozen times over a period of years during my college years. And it, you know, everything, every, every difficulty in this life has a blessing. Yeah. Every single one. And, and, the fact I could not get a job turned out to save my life because I'm looking at this, this appalling strain, this, this landscape that Western culture sets up for persons with disabilities. And I couldn't get a job and I couldn't get a date. And the only tool I had to handle this was strength, which is a horrible place to be in because it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And nobody, I'm looking at a, a failed life of endurance where I, I would simply have to grit my teeth and, and clench my fists and, and carry on. And, and, you know, I perceive my future as one of, of, of just lacerating pain and loneliness and, and a failed life in that, in that it didn't seem that I, I would be able to reach my potential. Yeah. And it was an ugly downward spiral. It was a race to the bottom of the bottle and it was, it was, uh, it was incredibly painful, uh, but you know, Carl Young, Carl Young, if I'm pronouncing that correct, said a tree can't grow to heaven if its roots don't extend to hell. And I, every, it's all relative. Everybody has their own challenge, and mine, obviously, certainly, no question, isn't the worst. But at that point in my life, when I was about 20 years old, I, I was in hell. Um, it was it was not fun. And then, as I said. The fact I couldn't get a job ended up being an incredible blessing because the only job I could get was a blind hire. <laughs> it was a newspaper ad. If you had a bicycle, you could be a bicycle messenger. No, I never met the people I worked with. They said, go to this mailbox in this building, get your beeper, your pager, your shirt, fill out the application, and you're hired. Right. And so that's what I did, and I became a bicycle messenger. And, and, uh, and that's what ended up saving my life uh, because I, I had a delivery one day and if I make it through this without losing it, it'll be one of the first times <laughs> because it's, and this isn't, this isn't from pain. It's from joy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it over, it overwhelms me how blessed I am that I had this experience. Uh, anyway, I had it, I had a delivery in a building downtown and parked my bike, locked up my bike, got on the elevator and a hand came through the closing doors and a woman had caught the elevator and she got on and stood perpendicular to me. I had my back against the back of the car and she stood sideways and mammals can perceive when they're being stared at. And, and you know, certainly I can uh, I have a little experience with it. So yeah. I knew she was staring at me, but I was going through my, my satchel, my bag, you know, to pull out the envelope and my clipboard and everything to make my next delivery on the upper floors. And I knew she was staring at me. And so I remember, I remember thinking, 
you know, I looked up at her, and usually when somebody is staring and you look at them, they look away. Well, she didn't break eye contact. She just smiled at me. And I, I remember thinking, I remember, what's this one going to say? <laughs> and uh, all she did was say seven, seven words that just literally saved my life. She said, I bet you lead an interesting life. And then she reached her floor and the doors opened and she was gone. And I never saw her again. And the doors closed and I went up to the floor where my delivery was and I made my delivery. And I turned around and got back on the elevator and I'm, I'm playing this over and over in my mind. I'm thinking, I bet you lead an interesting life. What the hell did that mean? Mm. <laughs> you know, I didn't understand it at first, but by the time I got to the first floor, to get off the elevator, it, it hit me. And uh, I, I walked out to the curb and, and sat down and cried for the next 20 minutes because uh, what she taught me was, and it's nothing new, it's just something that I hadn't yet comprehended. Yeah. What she taught me was that, that my life didn't suck. She taught me that I sucked at life mm. for the simple reason that I had defined my circumstance as painful. And that label I attached to my circumstance became my reality. You know, the, the critical thing here is if your circumstances aren't going to change, you must. Like right there, she taught me that in, in a 15 second elevator ride. If your circumstances aren't going to change, you must. And she, she taught me right there what Viktor Frankl said in his book, Man's Search for Me. We define our circumstances. Yeah. There's meaning in everything. And so here's what happened on that elevator ride. I took, I took my view of my circumstances as painful, as, as, as a failure waiting to happen, and totally redefined them all as interesting. And I've studied it so much since. I've read, you know, hundreds of books on psychology, trying to get it's called cognitive reframing. And and you know, Tony Robbins taught us this. You can change in an instant. Yeah. And I never believed it. Yeah. But on that elevator ride, I, when I went on that, when I got on the elevator, I was just racked with pain. Suicide. Didn't see the point. When I got off that elevator, uh, it was gone. And it never came back. Interesting, Kip, that you use, um, you use Tony Robbins um, as an example, because Tony uses a lot of metaphoric dialogue, doesn't he? Yes. And um, having, having followed... Um, Anthony Robbins, should we say, for many years, I understand the the power and the simplicity of words and, and how one, you know, because people can initially, I think, be quite sceptical, almost cynical of, oh, okay, so you can change your life in a moment, can you? And And that insight into the power of words and what we say and using metaphoric language to convey that. And when you were speaking there, um, Kip, it came across to me about... Um, the caption that I put out there some time ago about amending our sails. And it's something I can't remember verbatim, but if, if the winds of life are not blowing in our favor, then maybe we need to adjust our sails. And I think it's a great metaphor, isn't it? For sort of turning that, that focus internally and, and, and sort of detaching from all that clutter that's out there. And, that being, you know, a reason to be a victim. Or why is it always me? Why does that always happen and affect me this way? Why? It's always me. Poor old me. Well, actually, no, because that's stuff. 
turn that focus inside out and ask yourself, well, why don't I? Why don't I respond differently? Because I have a choice. Why don't, why don't I? And I speak from experience of being the victim to labels. I love that when you bring in things like labels, Kip. I love that term. Um, because for me, labels are for jars, not people. I love and, that. You know, I've learned that the hard way because the amount of labels that I had put on me from a very, very early age, he's this, he's violent, he's an addict, he's this, he's whatever, 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 antisocial, miserable, contrary, all this kind of stuff. And obviously it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I was, yes. I, I, I became like a goldfish swimming around in, in my own little goldfish bowl because that's what I was told I was. Fine, okay. And so... Yeah, so I just kind of throw that in really Kit, on that um, that uh, that insight that you've shared with us. I want to take this, if I can, on to your perspective, Kip, on discrimination. What's your thoughts around that particular topic? Well, it's a bit of a lightning rod, but I'll, I'll be. Uh, I think I have a different perspective on it. Um, one of the, just to revisit really quickly the woman in the elevator, she said, I bet you lead an interesting life. And so I substituted my perception of my circumstances as painful for the perception that my circumstances were interesting. And coming from that perspective is, is, is one of curiosity. The, the most powerful part about changing those two words of interchanging pain for, for interest is you, I, I immediately wrung the emotion. Out of my circumstances, which engaged my ability to explore. And, uh, you know, so for example, somebody would come up and, and say, you know, you're horribly screwed up. You look like crap. Um, I was asked to leave a beach one day. You know, I've had people tell me to put a shirt on. Um, you know, so I've been asked to leave public places and, and that's, that's painful. Okay. But when somebody says that to me, said that to me and continue to say things like that to me today because of the woman in the elevator, because I shifted my perspective from this is painful to this is interesting. Yeah. Instead of, of ingesting that and letting it impact me, uh, I immediately turn it around. What makes that person say that? What's their background? What's their upbringing? What's their education? What's their belief system? What is their problem that would lead them to treat another human being that way? And, and so it wrung the emotion out of it and, and, and just engaged this intense curiosity about my circumstance to the point where I can play with it now. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I see the, the unbelievable blessings in my circumstance because I'm like the man on the moon. You know, no matter where I look, I don't see anybody that looks like me. You know, and that's, there's, there's just tremendous opportunity in that if you're intellectually engaged if you're aware if you're conscious it's a tremendous opportunity to learn you learn at an exponential rate because you're watching this world from an outsider's perspective and and so to your point about discrimination i took that curiosity i i, I went to law school and i spent you know 20 something years as a civil rights lawyer advocating on behalf of you know everyone but particularly persons with disabilities and of course i've experienced discrimination firsthand yeah. and uh, and still still do today but what i've learned about discrimination very simply is this very little of it is predicated upon maliciousness see we are we are we're mammals and people tend to overcomplicate this you know <laughs> we are vertically oriented bipedal platforms you know that we have these 
these sensory organs mounted atop these platforms. And, and the, the sole purpose of these sensory organs is to distinguish difference, to detect difference. Because from an evolutionary perspective, difference is danger. Okay, so my twisted visage, you know, represents a, a stark interruption of the ordinary visual pattern. I get noticed. Yeah. I'm a spectacle and I'm new and I'm different. And to human beings with their capacity for, for differentiation and discriminating between lion and lamb, um, I represent a threat. But that threat isn't based upon uh, the threat of the unknown, not an actual physical threat. Although I probably intimidate a lot of people because <laughs> anyway, um, I represent a threat, the threat of the unknown. So much of what the discrimination is that I face is not malicious. Mm. It's innate. Yeah. It's our systems operating as they should. Now, how people handle the emotional shock of encountering me how people handle the new information of dealing with somebody who looks different is, is dependent upon their intellectual capacity, their background, their upbringing, their education. But I just have a hard time finding intent in the vast and overwhelming majority of it. Mm -hmm. And I think today that we're minting victims. We're just minting victims because everybody looks at discrimination as malicious or malevolent when in fact the vast and overwhelming majority of it is just simple ignorance. And, and so I have a different perspective on it, obviously. Um, and whether that's true, I really don't care. Mm. Because in my mind, it's effective. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got this much bandwidth, I've got this much time left, this much runway left in this life. And I'm just not going to spend it sitting in a dark room bitching that people discriminate against me. I'm going to go out into this world and I'm going to chase my dreams and chase my goals and make it happen. And if you get in my way, um, that's your problem. You know, I mean, that's just, that's just the way I'm going to operate my life. But yeah. that has been my experience that the vast and overwhelming majority of it is not intentional. It's simply, it's simply based in ignorance and it's a millennial. It's, it's going to take millennia to overcome it because we have to rewire this and you know, that's no easy feat. It's going to take millennia. And, uh, you know, part of the, I've run into advocates. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I traveled this last week for work to California and I showed up at, at, at American Airlines at the airport and there's a bunch of kiosks around where you can check in and there's an attendant standing there who's supposed to render assistance. Well, she's ignoring everybody. But as soon as I get to the kiosk, she's all over me. She wants to help. Okay. And I said, no, thank you. I'm very good, but you know, I can handle it. But thank you very, very much. And she said, yeah, no problem. So I'm digging for my wallet and she starts pushing buttons. Long story short, she does the whole thing for me in about 10 seconds. I didn't need the help, but I was thrilled to have it. So I get on the airplane and the woman left, left me says, do you need help doing up your seatbelt? The woman on the right of me says, do you need help turning on your light or adjusting your air? All right. The whole week was, was person after person after person rendering aid, offering aid to me that I don't need. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now there are a lot of advocates out there who get offended at that. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Because this life is difficult enough under anybody's circumstances. Who the hell am I to get offended when I get to see the very best of humanity, whether yeah. I need the help or not, 
these people are going out there. They perceive a need real or not. And, and they go out of their way to help me. See, that's beautiful. Yeah. And yet there's, there's, a, there's a strain of so-called advocates and they're really, they're, they're, it's victims, okay, who say that I'm supposed to be offended because people should recognize that I'm actually capable. Well, you know, I don't have an external focus. I really don't give a damn what they think of me. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to enjoy the ride. And when people like that and people like you come into my life, man, it's just, it's just one of the great blessings that I have because of this, because I get to see the very, 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 very best of humanity almost on a daily basis. Wow. Wow. It's, it's awesome. I want to take, uh, I always in, in conversations, uh, Kip, I almost kind of eagerly await this, this B word raising its head. And it does. It never, it never ceases to, to sort of fail. Beliefs. You touched on beliefs. And my, I've got an ABC approach on that, but I just want to probe around your, um, your insights, your thoughts around the power of beliefs, and you know, obviously, you've shared with his, your your uh, some of your experiences, your journey, um, and, and the beliefs of how they've been part of that. And you, you've kind of opened that up already. But if we can kind of flip that over, Kip, to beliefs in general and how how powerful they are in people's lives, your sure. perspective on that. Sure, uh, I consider your beliefs to be a windshield. Okay, you, you see, you filter, you perceive everything in this world through the windshield of your beliefs. Okay, on an, on an unconscious level, whatever you believe, your mind is designed to prove it true. Mm-hmm. So when I was in that spiral where I couldn't get a job, I began to believe I can't get a job. When I was in that spiral where I couldn't get a date, I believed I couldn't get a date. Okay. And then the woman in the elevator, <laughs> I bet you lead an interesting life. And, and you know, when I got off that elevator, I was a completely different human being. And for the next three weeks, I, I was reeling through the streets on my bike with this just grin on my face at the possibility. And I rewired all of my beliefs in three weeks. It was just, it, it was ecstatic. And I asked out the next 3000 women I saw because <laughs> They couldn't hurt me anymore. And I got dates. Okay. And then I went and applied for really good jobs. You know, I, I, I couldn't write very well. Go to law school. You know, what could, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. So, I mean, my belief became, my beliefs became, and this is really a critical one. Um, you need to set your course and you'll find the tools along the way. And that became my belief, you know, so like I said, I went, I went to law school. I couldn't write very well. Hell, I couldn't even do it with my tie, you know, and, and, uh, but I just knew that number one, it was going to be incredibly interesting <laughs> no matter what happened. Right. Yeah. And, and I would figure it out along the way. Yeah. And that's, you know, in that elevator, I was given a level of confidence and, and it reflects on my beliefs. I went from I can't or this isn't going to work or this sucks or this is painful to a belief of I lead a life of immeasurable interest and I can learn anything and and whatever the circumstance I can figure it out because nobody can hurt me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm a business coach and a lot of my clients 
come to the relationship with some disempowering beliefs. And we always spent, you know, the first several calls, I listened closely to their language. Mm-hmm. I listened to, I can't, yeah. and that won't work. And all these other limiting beliefs, that's their windshield. So they, they unconsciously go about their day proving to themselves that they can't. And, and beliefs are everything. It's, yeah. it's software. And if your software is leading you to disempowerment and negativity, that's going to be your reality. And so the most important thing a person can do is, is eliminate those limiting beliefs and change their perspective on everything. And it, it can happen as, as quickly as a decision. Yeah. Um, as you know, to go back to our friend, Mr. Robbins in a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. I, um, on, on the, on the Tony Robbins's note, I was very, fortunate to be influenced by his um, his coaching mentor for five years Jim Britt and uh, Jim's been uh, you know uh, part of my journey as a mentor and I can remember us having a conversation in fact Jim's done a couple of podcasts with with me um, under this speaking from our hearts uh, Kip and I can remember having a conversation around beliefs I think I just think it's so so much of a fascinating in-depth subject I said um, Jim do you know that old saying about believe to see or see to believe? Which one's actually true? And is the wise old sage just sat there and said, hmm, which one do you think's true? Well, I don't know, Jim, I'm asking you. Hmm, <laughs> neither. And that was it, neither. Yeah, Jim, give me more, give me more. And it's like, an event. anyway, the upshot of it was that beliefs that they're temporary stepping stones there's something that we believe it's we're in that moment which doesn't make it right or doesn't make it wrong it's a belief that we hold it's a stepping stone but like the wind it moves on and so do we and i thought that was you know that insight of neither is true because they're just temporary stepping stones i mean i've kind of paraphrased that but that's what essentially um you know, uh, Jim was referring to, and I th- that was very powerful for me to have that because entrenched in these limiting beliefs that I was brought up with from a very, very early age of you're nothing, boy. You speak when I speak to you, and that was usually met with violence. And I learned that behaviour and this very controlling, debilitating way of being. So that was my world, and that became my belief. And you know, I think suddenly you get that defining moment, don't you? Or, or certain things that kind of take the legs off that table called belief. They make that table loose and wobbly. And you think, hang on, this table of belief that used to be rock solid suddenly isn't anymore. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing you very loudly on this. And it, I just think that beliefs, um, Kip, is such a... I think it ought to be taught in schools personally. It, as a, as a standalone subject, there's no doubt we 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 teach kids how to work a pencil, how to work a calculator. We don't teach them how to use their mind. Mm. It, it it truly is an astonishing, you know. But that's obviously going off a different track. That's not the purpose of education in in our culture anyway. But man, mm. it should be because it, you know part of the importance of your mission. You know, part of why I'm I'm so thrilled that I connected with you and you gave me this opportunity is is we need to teach people the tools necessary to empower them to lead better lives. I, I don't know what's going on in Western Europe, but there's a suicide epidemic in this country Yeah. that, you know, I spent the last, 
I lived in Utah for nine years. Utah and one other state, I believe, suicides, the number one cause of death for children under 17 years old. That, that's horrifying. We're absolutely failing the next generation by not providing them with the tools. And, you know, the only tool I had as a kid was strength. My dad would say, you know, be strong. Well, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> what is, what is, be strong, be strong enough to shut people out, be strong enough to, to sit alone, to clench your, clench your teeth, to, to ignore people, to miss the joyous moments of life in life. What does that mean? Okay. And, and so when I discovered when the woman in the elevator gave me my new perspective and I researched it, it's called cognitive reframing. And essentially it's, it's, it's a lot of psychotherapy is exactly what I underwent. You take previously painful experiences and assign to those experiences new meanings and come out with a different resolution. Okay. That's a lot of psychotherapy. I underwent psychotherapy on an elevator in an instant. Mm -hmm. And there's resilience. There's, there's, there's many, many, many tools that we can give to people to handle whatever challenge it is they face. Uh, you know, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, outlines two or three. Uh, cognitive reframing being one of them. Uh, it's, there's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity right now that I'm pleased to see you being a part of to teach a greater number of people than ever before how to run their brains more effectively yeah. and it's a better result. And I love your focus on language. I, I really do the, the labels, because if you look, you look at thesaurus.com, look up the word disabled in thesaurus.com and it's washed up, worn out, broken down, useless. Hmm. That's Western culture's definition of my condition and you can see it in the way society treats us and it's all a label regardless mm -hmm. of a person I and mean, look at stephen hawking okay yeah. look at stephen hawking you know stephen hawking hawking was born not disabled if you will okay uh if he was born in the condition that that he ultimately grew into i don't know that he would have survived the delivery you know i, I don't know if you're aware of this but 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 Western culture's treatment of persons with disabilities, you know, there's a long, long, ugly history of it. There was a bucket in the delivery room mm. just for that purpose. Yeah. Okay. And, and so they label a guy disabled when all he did was rewire our entire understanding of the origins of the, of the universe. Mm. <laughs> you know, in other words, ability is on a continuum, but we assign these labels. And man, if you get trapped in that label, you got a problem. But there's also a beautiful thing about that. There's a beautiful thing about that. Because when an entire society gets it wrong, as they have on disability, yeah. okay, no, there's no question they've gotten it wrong. I'm living proof. Mm -hmm. Okay, Stephen Hawking, I, I'm not comparing myself. It's just an example. Okay, yes. he's living proof. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt has polio, had polio. You know, he's living proof that we got it wrong on disability. And, and the other side of that coin is this. <laughs> I tell you what, when you know that an entire society got it wrong, you get tremendous confidence from that. Mm. Okay. Because it empowers you to question your beliefs. Yeah. Because when an entire society believes something and they're dead flat wrong and the evidence is right in front of their noses, you have, you have suddenly have the strength to grab that table leg and shake those beliefs and see what falls out. Mm. And, uh, that's, it's, you know, there's a blessing in everything. And that's one of the greatest blessings I've discovered the confidence that I derive from understanding that everybody out there got it wrong. So I'm going to go make my own way.
the uh, this whole whole dialogue kip around beliefs is is kind of my mind was slightly very slightly meandering there into realms of creativity but uh t- kind of took me back to the very first podcast we did uh which was uh oh, I don't know 9 months ago now something like that and it was called mastering life is as simple as abc and um the, you know the shortened version is is the a is for awareness that's our starting point because we don't know what we don't know so our line in the sand if you will is our awareness whatever that may be and there's no judgment for that there's no right there's no wrong it is what it is and i think your awareness before that elevator experience kit was one side of the coin as a result of that in a matter of moments it was the other side of the coin so your awareness in a heartbeat, it dramatically changed. Yes. So awareness is our starting point. The B is the beliefs. Okay, so what, what's going on here? What's going on? And are those beliefs serving us? If they're not, then we need to change them. And that's where the C comes in, is the creativity. To think differently. We've already alluded at the top of this conversation, Kip, around the, the use of metaphoric language just as one tool to to think around things a bit differently because that's what it is it's a thought process the reality and the truth of what's happening is the truth it's neutral but we impose ourselves on it because we think we know best well we define it yeah yeah we define it absolutely within our perception of what it is that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It makes it right for us at our level of awareness at that given moment in time. So and I love. Does it serve you? And and does it serve you? And if it doesn't serve you, change it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, speaking of metaphors, I heard a really, really read a really good one not long ago. But you're sitting alone in a chair, and perhaps you have a glass of wine, and you're utterly alone in a room in a chair. But whether that is loneliness or freedom mm. is entirely up to you. Yeah. You know, we assign the meanings to our circumstances. Yeah. And if your circumstances aren't going to change, you better change the meaning. And I used to think it was hocus pocus. As a matter of fact, I didn't tell my wife this story until I had been married to her for 17 years. Okay. Because I thought that what I underwent in that elevator was some reactive defensive distortion of reality. And it might've been unhealthy. Okay, I didn't care if it was true. It was working, and I was going to run with it, but I didn't tell anybody about it. Mm. And so I mentioned Tony Robbins a couple of times, and it's kind of funny because I went to Tony Robbins for the first time, and he said, he, he described cognitive reframing from the stage 20 feet away from me. And I just, I, I here it comes again. <laughs> I just burst into tears because I realized that what I had been doing was okay. And I, you know, I no longer had to hide it. And uh, so I told my wife and I still told several friends about what I'd experienced and I'm reading about it like crazy. And uh, oh yeah, that was probably, you know, 15 years ago, that 17 years ago that I, I went to Tony Robbins and, and, and heard it was legitimate. Um, but I, yeah, I really like what you're doing with, with ABC. That's very, very powerful. It, it crystallizes it and simplifies it and drills it down to what really matters. And isn't the the life that we live, Kip, do you know, and, and I will have this debate with anybody, 
that life is a very, 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 very simple game. It really is. It's only us that make it complicated with our beliefs amongst many other things. Um, I mean, the, do you know what's been great about this, Kip, is we could have a conversation on, on another podcast and, and I really would welcome that just around beliefs because they're so powerful as we've already, I know we share that, uh, we share that belief about beliefs. Um, <laughs> but I want, I want to sort of bring things towards um, a close now, Kip, if I can. And I want to do that by asking you two very big questions, very big questions. And it's great that you've introduced the uh, the elevator scenario because I want to reciprocate that and say, right, my first of my big questions, Kip, is you're in an elevator, just as that lady changed your life. <laughs> But this time, the boot's on the other foot. You've got 10, 15 tops, 20 seconds within that elevator to, to leave a message, to leave a legacy, to leave a statement, call it what you will. What would be your number one message kept to the world in it, when your metaphoric elevator? I would do exactly what that Tony Robbins coach did to you. Yeah. Okay, now that's a coach <laughs> because because he didn't spew some answer. Okay, he, he just asked you a question. Yeah, basically. yeah. I would I would leave a question. Okay, I would leave a question. What would happen? Yeah. What would happen? And then plug in the words. If you made it interesting, if you made it fun, it, which is where I am now, by the way. Yeah. You know, I realized. 15, 20 years ago or something like that, that, uh, you know, I just by changing my language, I made my life endlessly interesting. Why can't I make my circumstance fun? And boom, it was fun. Yeah. Right. So I, that's what I would do on that elevator. I would, I would just leave the question, what would happen? Because you have to, awareness can't be taught. Mm -hmm. It's your own journey. And, and I, you know, I think Aristotle said that the 5% of the people think, 10% of the people think they think, and 85% of the people want nothing to do with it. Okay? <laughs> so I think the only way you break through that is with a question. What would happen if it was interesting? Um, and that would get people thinking and, and, and headed on the same, it would give them the same opportunity that I had. Yeah. The old what if. It's so powerful yet to get two simple words. What if. Yeah. but massively powerful. And that yeah. is the power of language that, you know, as transformational teachers, Kip, uh, coaches, mentors, practitioners, call it what you will. Um, and that's part of our responsibility, isn't it? To, to you know, to use those tools to, to inspire people to say, well, actually, you know, we go back to that choices thing again. You do have a choice, you know. So let's take that label off. I don't know where you got that from. We can go on a voyage of discovery to disempower it if we need to. But essentially, let's just get rid because it's going to go because it doesn't serve you. The second big question I want to put to you, um, Kip, and, and I really am kind of in the most loving, respectful way, going to tie you into a maximum of two minutes. And there's a reason for that. And it's this. What does speaking from your heart mean to you? It means sharing my message that perspective isn't everything. Perspective is the only thing. For me, that's where it all started. For me, I play with it every day. For me, it gave me the life I have now. And speaking that into being through my life and speaking it 
to audiences and sharing that message is what drives me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Kip. Thank you. Well, thank you. So how can people reach out to you, Kip? Because I've personally found this absolutely fascinating. I mean, I love all my podcasts and I respect my guests and connect with them so deeply. Um, this is this has been you know yet another example of this this marvelous medium called podcasting that's out there and it's, it's allowing people to connect and reach out and in, you know share messages and share love and you know and particularly through the video element it, you know there's that real deep level connection and the world is crying out now for this love rather than fear there is a revolution taking place undoubtedly and um so how can people get in contact with you kip uh, my Facebook handle is Kip Roth, K-I-P-R-O-T-H. My Instagram handle, love to have you follow me and interact, is at Kip Roth. My U.S. telephone number is 704-497-0771. My email address is Kip at KipRoth.com. That's K-I-P at K-I-P-R-O-T-H.com. My website's going up. Uh, real shortly here and i would love for folks to interact in any way they choose and uh paul before i say thank you you said something really really quickly a, a second ago you said life is really simple and that's the beauty of it because all nature cares about is survival and reproduction that's how simple it is mm-hmm. survival and reproduction and everything else on the landscape <laughs> Everything else is man-made. Yeah. <laughs> and so you keep that in mind. You keep it in perspective, just how simple it is, and turn yeah. it into a, a joyous romp of, of exploration and even enjoy the pain. Because if, you're, if your overarching goal, if your number one, if your transcendent goal is to experience as much of this life as you can, then you have to experience the pain as well. And you can learn so much from it. And uh I've learned a lot from you. I really appreciate the opportunity, Paul. I think you're doing an outstanding job. You're on the right path, and, and there is no higher service than what you're doing here. Thank you. Thank you, Kip. Kip and that really is sincerely appreciated to get that feedback. Thank you. You bet. So, listeners, there we have it. Um, where do we go from here? And I think where we go from here is the final closure to say, um, you know, remember whatever you do, always, always walk your path with heart. Till next time, take care. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.